And good morning, everyone. Welcome live to the studios of Triple H 100.1 FM here in the cloudy suburbs of Northern Sydney. Welcome once again to a great Small Biz Matters show full of education, small business advocacy and looking after you, the small business owner. And now more than ever, you really need a little bit of TLC with uh, most of you in complete shutdown or at least experiencing some very severe closure of your business and definitely a deterioration in sales. Congratulations to those of you who are still doing well. Um, And even more of a congratulations to those of you who are looking at other ways to bring revenue streams and do new and exciting things with your business. And that's what today's show is all about. We're going to be talking to a couple of industry experts about how they have pivoted, changed, evolved, and helped other businesses to do the same when it comes to different revenue streams or looking at different ways of running their business. Some of them are completely left of centre. And that's what I'm hoping today's listeners are going to take away. Maybe some ideas, tricks or tips or things that you can do to um, increase your revenue when everything is back up and running or even now. So firstly, we're going to be talking to uh, Daniel Gunning, who is a self-confessed real estate tragic. And he's going to talk to us about the wealth of industry experience in commercial real estate, where he's developed a strategy which any business could turn into quite a lucrative revenue stream. Then at 9.30, we're going to talk to industry event industry heavyweight Luli Adeyemo, who is teaching us how best case scenario flipped the event from traditional face-to-face online in under two weeks while still maintaining the mantra that content is king. Lots of takeaways today, lots of opportunities to learn how other businesses are working with technology and out-of-the-box thinking and a little bit of hard work to make these things happen. So first, let's have a chat to Daniel. Uh, Daniel, of course, is the... Oh, I've just lost my screen. Daniel is the uh, CEO of Space Now and Director of Commercial Real Estate and of Gunning, <laughs> Director of Commercial Real Estate at <laughs> Gunning Real Estate. Daniel, welcome to the program. Good morning. How are you? I'm not too bad. Now, we're going with a bit of low tech today. How funny that we're talking about tech and then oh. our, our, um, our online situation just decided to crash on us. But we, we can evolve. We can pivot. In fact, this morning we are pivoting. Welcome to the program. Now, today I want to talk to you about this new initiative that you've got and taking your wealth of experience in the real estate industry and helping other businesses to think of different ways to uh, pivot their revenue. Tell me a little bit about Space Now. Yeah, look, Space Now is what we focus on is uh, flexible uh, renting. So really it's a it's focused on business to business. Uh, and where we saw were people uh, needed to be able to get in and use space for the amount of time that they need it. So really we... Uh, are all about, you know, utilisation uh, and getting the best use out of your space and then obviously being able to get in and, and create lower barriers of entry for, for new businesses or if you're an existing business, being able to utilise your space better uh, to get more efficiencies. And where did the idea come from? Because obviously you've got a background in, in real estate. Have you seen over the years a lot of people not making the most of the space that they have? Is that where the thought came from? Absolutely. Um, I think... Over the years, uh, it's definitely been, whether it's been, you know, a, a boom or, or sort of in a, in a similar time to what we're in now, which is a downturn, uh, or whether there's just been changes, whether it's been um, technology or, or you've just seen industries uh, evolve. Um, the space in which people work from has always been a challenging one. You're either got need more or you need less, or you've got too much or, you, or you've... Uh, or you've got too little um, given, and it's 
it's quite a slow moving thing. So often business and, and industry is moving so quick, but yet the real estate side of it can uh, move quite slowly. So we just found, I just saw a lot of times it was always something that was a bit of a trail with people, um, you know, and it was always a big issue. Uh, people trying to work out their space uh, requirements, uh, try, and it was always a big problem. Um, it was also, you would see a lot of businesses, uh, you know, become quite established and they like where they are uh, and they needed an ability to be able to evolve their space. So that often meant, you know, as we've, as, as we've developed the sharing economy, um, I think that sharing and, you know, we've seen, the, we, well, we saw a big rise in co-working and, uh, people started to be able to, we wanted people to be able to do that themselves as well. So if you wanted to, um, if you're in a, in a down, down cycle or you had excess space, uh, you know, be able to bring other businesses in and, and it could be quite easy and fluid. You mentioned um, yourself that the the real estate industry can be a little bit slow to move. Um, I would I would agree that anybody that deals with real estate agents on the commercial capacity, you kind of feel as though you're the last thing on their list. You know, as long as you pay your rent, they'll leave you alone. But then if you don't, and there's issues, then they really come down hard on you. Do you think this is a pivotal moment for the real estate industry? for itself to pivot and evolve and be more understanding? I mean, what is it that's holding back the industry from being more, um, I guess, flexible? Yeah. Um, look, I think it starts, you, I guess, with real estate. I mean, you've got to look at where it all sort of starts from. And, you know, most people go to the bank and, and borrow money to, um, to to buy real estate. Uh, obviously, there are, you know, you, you um, so that what the bank's uh, expectations are and the securities that they look for, uh, often that is passed on from the owners. And obviously, traditionally, property owners have wanted to be able to provide a premises and just, you know, uh, get it leased up and, and put it away and, and just hope for, uh, you know, just have a constant turnover. I think now, especially with what's just going on, I think that's, it feels like there's going to be a massive shift. I think now more owners have to start to see themselves as being almost like partners with with their tenants because the well-being of the tenant is also the well-being of the of the property owner. So working more together, uh, being a little bit more aware of what the market conditions are, probably having that little bit more agility is probably going to be something which uh, I think uh, going forward um, the industry will have to adopt. I certainly certainly the bigger you know, your, your large property trust, who you'd think would be quite slow, surprisingly quite um, quite quick to sort of be onto these things. You, you'd see a lot of big major buildings adding a flexible component into their, um, into their buildings because they want to be able to allow existing tenants to, you know, give them that flexibility if they need a bit of excess space. So give them, give them a bit more agility uh, and so that, um, yeah, I, I, so they can... I guess, adapt to whatever the market conditions are at the time. It's good news to hear that the, the contractual obligation seems to be getting a bit more flexible. And it is, it is logical to think that, you know, the, the difficulties and the inflexibility is from the top down. It's because the, the lenders are not allowing any sort of flexibility or room to move for the agents or, or sorry, for the, for the t- landlords, which means that the agents oh. have to reciprocate that. It, it pretty much, that's right. It just bumps on down the line. And then so... The, the agents are pretty much out there trying to achieve what what the instructions are that they're being given by their by the property owners. So let's talk about um, the small business owner. Give me some examples of where you've seen some really uh, flexible or adaptive.
disruptive ways of using space in a small business? Sure. Um, look, the, the really easy one is having, finding, seeing uh, businesses that might be in the same building, being able to share some of the amenities they might need. Um, we all know a boardroom uh, or, or a large meeting room is a, it's a necessity, but it's probably something that's not used every single day. Um, so seeing, having uh, companies put their space, that boardroom out to either be able to share it with, with other uh, businesses within the building or just even outside parties being able to come in, that's a really common one. Uh, also just seeing businesses come together. So you can actually streamline, uh, you know, two smaller businesses going into one space uh, obviously, they can get a bit more bargaining power if they're taking a little bit bigger space. You can share uh, some of your resources. Uh, you know, obviously, um, you've got reception or, or there's some services there that can be streamlined. Again, boardrooms, you get higher efficiencies and higher utilisation of your space in that way. Um, where does the responsibility lie? So if we take the example of a really classic example where boardrooms, for example, are used by other business owners or perhaps other people outside of the building, what happens with the responsibility to maintain? Uh, is that something that, that you negotiate with the contract with the person you're subleasing to? Look, if it's a very short-term thing, then look, the maintenance or any level of cleaning, it would be the same as any... as somebody within the, the, the existing business holding a, a meeting within the space. I mean, look, it's um, most people come in and they, they're more use, using it for a space to get a bit of, um, they don't want to be down in a coffee shop. They're just looking for a bit of privacy. Uh, they're looking for a space where they might have some service where they can do a presentation. So you don't really, we haven't come across that being a, a, a big issue, but really that responsibility would stop with, the person who has the space and if they wanted to factor in some cleaning, you could just roll that into a price. I mean, you wouldn't sort of have that as a, as a uh, extra cost. You just factor it into, so you say, okay, if I'm going to let rent this out, this is the value, this is what I want for it. Uh, and they'll factor in those things. It sounds relatively straightforward. It's just a matter of factoring in worst case scenario and making sure that your costs are covered. Correct. Absolutely. So, is this essentially a way that um, we're going to see the taking down of co-working spaces? Because if we enable more existing businesses who have that additional space to be flexible and to have others come in and use it, you know, with within reason, with security, et cetera, et cetera, does that mean that the co-working space model is going to be completely defunct? Um, look, I think definitely there's going to be some changes within the co-working, but co-working, what, what they have done they add another layer, which is they really work hard on creating a community and they offer a lot of um, things in terms of getting and, and that sort of uh, networking within within the space. I think we're, this is sort of a few levels down. These are just people that um, what we're talking about is a common person can go out there and have a couple of businesses sharing space. Uh, they might be businesses that might do a bit of business together, so it might be good if, you know, uh, if you could sort of work off each other's clientele and, and be a value add in that way. But I still think uh, co-working and, and those operators that are going to offer that higher level, uh, I think there's definitely still going to be in the market. There may not be as many. You know, you're probably probably going to find the, the strongest players uh, will prevail. But um, I still think a lot of people prefer to go to those groups 
because they're going to offer a little bit more than, than you know, they're going to be more about the service and the community. And uh, I think that's where there's going to be a bit of a shift with co-working. I think you'll see them also offer a few more service, um, you know, maybe start to introduce, you know, F&B offerings. So if people are putting on a, you know, you're wanting to do some sort of uh, presentation within the, you know, a, a, a client presentation, you can get some catering and things like that. So I think, I think there's still going to be a, a place in the market for them. Yeah, sort of a one-stop shop as, as opposed to having just the space and then you still need to organise everything else. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay, so we're not going to see an, an Uber-like <laughs> disruption. Well, to I space. mean, look, I, I think I think what we've seen with Uber, they did come in and then, you know, there's, they've, they've found a place in the market and then there's others that come in. So definitely we'll see a little bit of an UberX type of moment, um, which, is, which is where people had the platform to be able to go and do it themselves, a bit like what they've done. You know, you could take your own car and join the join the Uber network. Um, I think that, that we could see something like that, and that's what we, we sort of hope to be able to help facilitate. But within that, that's not going to fit for everybody. There's going to be other people who are still going to want to go, want that, that service, that plug-in and play. Also, uh, some of your big co-working um, groups, they're, a global, they're global players. So maybe if you're a company that uh, has international offices or, you know, maybe travelling at the moment is not uh, really happening, but previously you might have travelled internationally. You might prefer to just go with a, with a brand and something that you know. Yeah, exactly, because you need to have that confidence that everything is going to be in place when you've got that all-important meeting. That makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely. So, obviously, office space, that's that's fairly traditional. It's fairly straightforward. You give someone the internet and away they go and they've got an office space. But it's a bit more complex when we're talking about retail and hospitality. Uh, have yes. you got any tips to businesses who, once they're open, once they can have more than, you know, two people in their immediate vicinity, when that's all happening, what are some ways that those industries can gear up for this additional revenue stream? Sure. I mean, I think the hospitality, we've already seen some um, really great adaptions and, and pivoting. Um, you know, the, the, we're starting to see some articles come out, but I, I even just saw it around our local area. Uh, I think initially a lot of the restaurants um, started selling some of the, the um, stock that they had, you know, the items that they would traditionally use within the restaurant. Uh, to the public in order to obviously uh, get rid of that stock, but we've now seen seen them actually uh, really taking that on, and I, I think that you know now there's been a big um, development of home delivery. I mean, we're not just talking about um, using your, your big sort of traditional your deliveries and your and your um, Uber Eats, but we're seeing a lot of the restaurants actually you know, packaging up and, and delivering you order with the restaurant and they're getting delivery service through. I think that's um, that's been a big adoption. I think some of these restaurants will look and see that they can open themselves up to a, a, a bigger market by having this daytime sales. So traditionally you drive past and, you know, the restaurant will be closed and they'll just be servicing that nighttime trade. But by now opening up, you're sort of engaging with your community and maybe expanding your market. So you're sort of getting more touches with your clientele uh, by having them come in and buy, you know, that pasta that they really love, but they want to cook at home, you know. So I think that's been one really great thing and I think that will continue. I mean, retail, um, look, what I've seen, uh, streaming retail has been adopted. So people like that's. So you still need a premises for that. Um, I think 
look, again, retail, we're just going to start to see reopen, but certainly smaller retailers might start to see if they can do a bit like what we're talking about with an office. Could two fashion groups can occupy one shop? Sometimes you see them, you know, retailers always traditionally be very high rent, especially if you're in a high um, foot traffic area. Maybe they can um, start to share space. So they, again, could streamline their operations. Maybe they could have uh, share sales staff and change rooms and things like that, which, you know, they're not traditionally, you know, you, you know those sort of areas you require, but, um, uh, you know, they're not stock on the shelf. So, you know, they're not really your prime uh, prime space, use of space. But um, I think retail will also, uh, I think one of the biggest adaptions is they'll probably need to look to uh, trade a bit later and, and sort of open up their markets. Uh, and as I said, maybe start to introduce some other items, some complementary items, which will allow their customers, give them more touches to their customers than just trying to sell pure fashion or pure homewares or, or things like that. I'll, say, I'll tell you one thing that I'd, I'd like to see small business uh, be able to benefit from and one thing that I would like to see pushed out of the industry, which is um, the, the forced retail um, uh, turnover, sorry, not the turnover, but the... Tra- trading hours. No, forced trading hours, forced rent, um, paying yes. triple the amount that the big boys pay per square metre. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we recently heard Peter Strong from um, the Council of Small Business Australia absolutely blast the big shopping centre uh, market for taking advantage of this situation basically driving small business to the ground. Do you think that there'll be a little bit of a pivoting from... I know that it's not real estate agents, but more the landlords, but could there be a little bit of pushback from the real estate agent to say, hey, guys, we need to be more flexible, we need to be more understanding, or we're going to lose our tenants? Do you think there's a possibility that might happen? Look, absolutely. I think everybody everybody knows there needs to be a little bit more of an even playing field. Um, but, uh, you know, these... These major groups, you know, traditionally the way, the reason why they're there, they're, they're basically called anchor tenants and the reason that they um, are, are put into centres is because they are often a draw card and they're a, they're a known brand that people come for. So they really use that reputational uh, strength that they've got to bring and, you know, that what their negotiation is with with the shopping centre is saying, well, if we're in, in your centre, then you're definitely going to get a certain level of foot, foot traffic and then, but, you know, we've seen the centres then try and pick up what they're not making off the bigger operators with the smaller operators saying, well, you guys are benefiting from this foot traffic. Um, I think what we've seen with shopping centres, they're, they're shifting from being a, a shopping centre, but almost like a glorified community uh, space, you know, and, and, and what I think that, uh, or what I'd like to see with, with those uh, shopping centres is that maybe they'll start to adopt, you know, we've seen them adopt... Um, Childcare, and they've got gyms. They've got essential services in there, but maybe even having some um, filling in, having some uh, meeting facilities and work workplace facilities in there. So again, continuing to draw uh, some other clientele in there that are going to spend, um, you know, with these small tents. But look, there's no doubt that uh, they both need each other. Uh, you can't just have a centre based with one big tenant. You need these smaller fill, uh, smaller groups in there. But um, getting that sort of getting that 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 revenue or that that sort of rental uh, quality with the, with the tenants needs to needs to happen because uh, you know I mean some small businesses you just start to say why am I doing this if you're just working to effectively pay rent and, and you're, you're taking a very small wage 
yeah, exactly. out of it and you've got all the stress, you know. I mean, you, you, people just stop doing it. I wanted to ask you as well, do you think that um, local councils have a role to play in the way that areas and footprints of suburbs, for example, are zoned to enable more diverse range of types of services and businesses in each local area rather than saying well we're going to throw all of the co-working spaces into the inner city is there a role for for councils to be thinking about this in terms of zoning for their retail and their commercial space yeah look i think most you'll find most of the um the outer you know your, your metropolitan um you know hubs would love to have more business service in there because obviously you've got it's a it sort of brings that it brings the people into a sense of in, in during the day and, and it's sort of they come in and they go to the coffee shops and they buy lunch and, you know, it's quite good. They, they're good spenders and good supporters of the community. Um, I think the zonings are generally in place for that. I think what we will – I think it's, it's a matter of uh, there being a demand. And I think what this – remote working which has you know come about due to uh you know this COVID. um i think that's probably going to be a catalyst to see a lot more of that happen i think that uh a lot of businesses a lot of companies are going to look at how uh the business has performed over this period with having people work remotely from what i've heard you know some businesses will need to get people back into an office that they you know they need that but whether it has to be on a five-day-a-week, you know, you, you might see uh, people working uh, partly remotely and, and coming into an office. But also we're going to see a, a demand for people needing, uh, like, co-working style or, or business centre-style facilities in those closer-to-home suburbs. And I think that's what's going to be a good role for And I think that's what's going to be – we're going to – that's what's going to uh, bring around uh, these centres developing in the, in the outer – you know, out of the inner city. Fantastic. Uh, well, that's definitely the the way that um, the way that we've been thinking here on Small Biz Matters, actually, with trying to get some more diversity of business types into the outer suburbs of Sydney instead of pushing everybody into the centre of Sydney. We can see the difference that it's making to our air quality and to our our city itself by bringing people closer to their local community with this virus. So it'll it'll be interesting to see if um if there's a bit more collaboration around that. Look, Daniel, we've run out of time. Thank you so much for sharing all of your information. Can you tell us a little bit more about how people can find out about space now? Yeah, look, uh, you can go onto our website. Obviously, if you're looking for spaces, where um, uh, you can find us at spacenow.com. Uh, you can send us. We've got landing pages there. If you want to inquire, if we don't have a space, you, you can write to us and we'll obviously respond and see if we can help find a space for you. Uh, if you have spaces that you think you might want to try and monetize, again, you can have a look at the categories that we've got. Alternatively, uh, you can send us an email there. We'll come back to you and, and let you know if we can help you there. But would any of your listeners um, love to help them either find or, or list or, or rent a space? Fantastic. Look, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your knowledge about the real estate industry. And now's a great time. You know, while everybody's kind of on a bit of a pause, I'm trying to be positive about that, is that you can look at different ways to create revenue streams within your business and Space Now is a great platform to do that. Thank you so much for joining us on the program today, Daniel. Thanks, Lexi. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters and listen to some community service announcements. When we come back, we have got Luli Adeyemo, who is the director of Best Case Scenario. She's our fantastic uh, events person. She's a thought leader in the industry. She's going to be sharing with us her 
method of pivoting from an online, uh, sorry, from a face-to-face platform, a traditional events face-to-face platform into that online space. We will uh, be joining her or she'll be joining us in a few moments time. Keep with us after the break. And thank you to Pink with Get This Party Started, which is kind of funny that that song dropped into my uh, scheduling here at Triple H 100.1 FM because that's what we're actually talking today about on Small Biz Matters. We're talking all about getting your small business party started again. See what I did there? That was really clever. We're talking all about pivoting your business and creating new revenue streams for your business so that when this is all over and it will be over, as my dad says, all good things, all things will pass. This too will pass. Sorry, dad, I misquoted you there. But what we're talking about is getting new revenue streams and thinking of different ways that you can work within your business model to do different things. Let's do a quick check of the Sydney forecast. Uh, 24 degrees for today, Tuesday, shower or two. Wednesday, possible rain developing, 26 degrees. Thursday, 23 degrees and rain. Friday, back to being sunny, 18 degrees and sunny... 19 degrees on Saturday. So we've got a bit of an up and down with the weather, so keep an eye on that. Live traffic, New South Wales, nothing. Oh, wait, no, that's a lie. Hoxton Park, if you're near Hoxton Park, where you probably won't be able to listen to this uh, particular <laughs> broadcast. Uh, Cow Pasture Road at Bringelli Road. Bringelli? Bringelli. Bringelli Road. There's traffic lights flashing. Yellow traffic is affected in all directions. And that's it. That's it for the whole of Sydney. There's like some traffic lights flashing yellow and that's all we've got. Everything else is dandy. Um, on Sydney trains, it looks like everything is fine as well, mainly because nobody is using them. Now, remember, if you've listened to today's podcast and you've missed any of it, you can catch up via smallbizmatters.com.au or wherever you get podcasts like iTunes or Spotify. You can listen to over 150 educational podcasts just like this one to help get yourself educated, uh, thinking about what other ways that you can work within your business. So as I mentioned before, today we are talking all about working with your business and ways that you can create new new streams or look at ways that you can uh, basically pivot your business into other ways of thinking and ways of offering your product to your clients. And today's uh, thought leader that we have today is Luli Adeyemo, who is the director of Best Case Scenario Events. She's hugely experienced in the events industry and has recently produced some great material to educate uh, all of the people in the events industry about what they can do to bring events online. And just so you're aware, we're going to be putting some of that material up on the Small Biz Matters Facebook page as well for you to share because thought leaders do indeed share their knowledge. Now, uh, Luli, give me a little hello so I know that you're plugged in. Nope, I can't hear you. That's not a good sign. Let's try again. Hang on a second. I'll just wiggle everything. I'll turn. Oh, wait, that's that. Actually, that's my fault. I didn't turn you on. Let's try again. Hi, Alexi. Hey, I got you. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) See, technology can be our friend, but also be very daunting. Um, Thank you so much for joining us here on Small Biz Matters. Now, uh, we've known each other for a little while now, and it, it is wonderful to see someone with such experience and a wealth of knowledge within their industry to be sharing it with others. And what I'd like everyone listening today to take away is that it is possible to, in a heartbeat, in, in real real time, change the way that you do business and bring your clients and all of your key stakeholders on board for that journey. As long as you feel confident and you know that what it is that you're doing is going to be, is going to be right and it's going to work for your client. So today uh, we're going to be using that uh, example of you uh, pivoting an, a face-to-face traditional event into an online event with a really fast turnaround, which is remarkable. Um, And something that we can all take away from that as well today, which is that content is king. 
So, Luli, tell me a little bit about the event uh, firstly and what are sort of the major hurdles that you thought might happen uh, with changing it into an online platform? Um, well, the, I mean, I guess the, 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 the platform part is a bit that you, you kind of get a little bit more um, nervous and concerned about because it's not a traditional way that we've used as the core delivery of the event. You know, we know we, we've, you know, we stream events, that's nothing new, um, but, um, you know, a virtual approach being that the main uh, um, focus of the event is, is something that, you know, that we typically don't do all the time. So, and I think, you know, having that awareness as the organiser that you're nervous about the actual technology really helps uh, understand what the, you know, the, the, the speakers uh, are going through as well, because it's a new thing for them. Um, but I think, you know, once you've gone through that test thing, as we always do, uh, apply the same principles in regards to the checks, you know, are, you know, is the audio good as we're going through here? Um, you, know, you know, visually, is the lighting good? Um, then, then we're okay. So, you know, then we can go back to, to thinking about, you know, what you really need to, you know, to concentrate on is the the reason why you're doing the event, and then that takes it back straight away to the to, to content. And that doesn't change just because you're doing it on a different platform of way of, of organising an event. That that whole thing about content is king is is still very very much fundamental. Would you agree? A hundred percent. And I, and the, you know the the thing I keep saying time and time again, Lexi, is the, the 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 principles and the fundamentals of what we do for a physical event doesn't don't change because it because it's virtual. Um, so I think you know once people can get um, in, into that mindset and that understanding, um, then they'll, they'll, they'll quickly be able to, to diversify and continue doing what they've always done well. Um, so, you know, it, it's, you know, I think, you know, you're, you're competing, you know, for, for airtime more aggressively than, than we probably have done in the, in the, in the physical sense. Uh, and because some people, you know, you know, one of the major, um, objectives and benefits people have from attending physical events is, is a networking component. Um, and, you know, we, we don't get that in the same abundance of a, with a virtual event. So it means you have to be, the content has to be even more valuable um, than, than it would typically. And I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, we, know we, we should be thinking about that more. Um, if there isn't really a reason for having the conversation and bringing a group of people together, then you shouldn't be doing it. Um, yeah. So, you know, you know I think you know it's really good to have that as a, as you know as, as a guiding principle. That's a really good point, actually, because at the end of the day, there's probably a lot of frou-frou going on online at the moment mm-hmm. and people who are conducting um, webinars and, and seminars online that really shouldn't are not experts in their field and are probably just doing it for the sake of it because they think it's easy. Does that mm-hmm. make it more difficult to position a good quality event because there is hard, it's get harder to get that cut through? Yeah, I mean, it's unnecessary noise, isn't it? Um, but, you know, I think like anything, you know, if, if you've got a good product, you know, you, you know, you're, you're cut through. It's that simple. Um, so, you know, you know, I think, you know, with, with, you know, anything that we do with our clients and the advice, um, that we give to our clients, uh, is that real understanding of the, the purpose behind the event. Uh, and an event is anything, you know, it could be an interview like we're having today, Alexi. You know, it could be a small round table. I think, you know, where we're really seeing value is um, you know uh, converting that traditional executive thought leadership discussion into a virtual discussion, um, and you know that that's you know that sort of really targeted, high touch engagement is, is really valuable. Um, and then you know you have got the you know the traditional um, forum around opening up a conversation to a larger audience. Um, here, 
um, it is really, really important that you know that the messaging is right, um, that the profile of the speakers is right, and the person moderating the discussion is right. Uh, if any of those things are, are not don't hit the mark, then you won't you won't get the cut through that's necessary for it to be valuable. In terms of the prep, you mentioned before the importance of uh, making sure the technology is working, making sure your audio and your visual is all queued up correctly and you've got the sound and everything works before you launch. So having those testing um, phases are are really important. But what about prepping your speakers, your experts and your panellists? How does the prep change for the humans involved? Yeah, and I think, you know, that's a good question. I think the, the prep for a virtual event needs to be even more comprehensive than a physical Um um, because there's, there's a different variables that you don't necessarily encounter and you don't have control over in a physical, like you do in a physical event. In a physical event, we control everything that happens in regards to what's projected onto the screens in regards to the audio. Um, on a virtual event, you know, that control is taken away from you, uh, in, in large parts and you're reliant on the, the actual speakers to, to be prepped enough to be able to do that effectively. So, you know, we do a number of things. You know, there's the, um, initial, um, coming together of the speakers and what we'll, and we'll come to this in a second, but one of the things I think is really important um, in, in the value and the interaction and the engagement of, of virtual events uh, is a good balance of, of speakers. Um, but for that to work, there needs to, there needs to be a rapport generated between the speakers. So, you know, it's don't let the first time that they, they actually meet be the day of the event, you know, you know, facilitate and schedule the time prior to the event, a couple of days beforehand, for them all to meet themselves and get to know each other and, and understand each other's uh, area of expertise. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is is the, the actual prepping and the briefing notes and documentation, which is provided to the speakers. Like, you're very good at this today, Alexi, I've got a very comprehensive email from you. Um, so by the time I come onto the show today, I'm 100% across what's going to happen, what the format's going to be, uh, how I'm going to get in, you know, the, you know, the sorts of things we're going to discuss. So there's no elements of surprise there. And that's just all about, um, you know, making the, the, the speaker comfortable and confident to make sure you get the most out of them. Um, the, the other thing that we did and I think works really well is to get an indication of the sorts of, of questions that the audience uh, would like to be discussed and answered during the call. Um, so what we've, you know, we, what we always factor in on the registration process is, is an opportunity for the, the, the audience to, to put forward some questions they'd like to be considered ahead of the event. And what that does, it also, it, A, obviously it helps in the preparation for the speakers, but it also gives you an idea of the sentiment of the people that are dialing in. So let's not just make it all about us and what we want to talk about. Let's actually talk about what the audience is interested in, where their heads at the, at the moment. Could I ask you, how does that work um, in terms of online? Because obviously when you've got a registration process for a, a face-to-face event, you, they go through the process and they might at that point when they're registering ask the questions that they want to ask of the speakers. So in terms mm. of the order of, I guess the way that the tech check boxes that you need as the event organizer the first thing you need to do is determine your content your speakers and what they're going to be delivering and then you do the registration so that you can ask specific questions yeah. of specific speakers perhaps is that a more high level way of engaging with the audience yeah so there's two parts i mean it's you know the you know the event has a particular focus and a theme um so you know the audience you know understands um, the, the core purpose behind it. So they have an idea of the, the, the types of questions or what's interesting to them around that particular topic. Um, 
But, you know, you may have, um, you know, different speakers addressing different aspects of that particular topic. You know, so we did one recently with um, Regional Development Australia, um, whereby it was the conversation was all around remote working. But we had someone talking about it from the technology point of view. We had someone talking about it from the mental health point of view. We had somebody that had been a remote worker for a number of years. Uh, so it's coming as a case. So, you know, each of those speakers are going to have different questions which are, you know, targeted toward, towards them. Um, but then, you know, obviously, as the on the actual day of the virtual event, as the conversation's happening, then, of course, new questions are going to come to mind for the audience that they hadn't maybe considered prior. Um, so you need the, the, the capability within the, the platform for them to be able to post questions. So, you know, there's a, you know we, we were using Zoom for that particular one. There was a Q&A functionality within that. Um, so, you know, the, and again, this is the importance of a good moderator that's able to moderate the conversation between the speakers, but also keep an eye on the questions which are coming through the platform and interject with those as and when possible. Mm, and, and like that brings me neatly around to the next question I was going to ask, which is, does it change? You've got a panel in front of you just because you're online. Does it mean that you no longer have a, a professional moderator or is it more important than ever to engage oh with someone? Me, it, it, it's, you know, I, it, it's whether it's physical or, or virtual, you know, my, my mantra has always been around um, making sure you have a good moderator. Um, you know, you know, and it's something that's really misunderstood, I think, in our industry in general. Um, often, you know, what determines uh, who gets to moderate a session is the, the title of the person within an organisation. Or how much money um, they've thrown at the event. <laughs> exactly that, exactly that. Just because you're the, the platinum sponsor, just because you're the managing director or the director, whatever your title may be, doesn't mean you're necessarily a good moderator. Um, you know, to a, a good you know, moderator is worth their weight in, 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 in salt. They really are, because it, it's... You know, it's about, it's not just about asking a question. It's about asking a question in a conversational manner. So, you know, and to make sure that it flows, Um, not be too scripted. You know, you know, you may have a set of questions that you're going to ask, but, you know, you need to be able to adapt and adjust to the way that the conversation goes. You need to be able to adapt and adjust to the, you know, based on the questions which are coming from the audience. Um, So, you know, know, it's, you know, a, a good moderator it is what makes the event run seamlessly. Uh, it makes it look effortless um, and it really delivers the, the most value. Take that away and you've just got a bunch of talking heads. Exactly, who can't, who are trying to talk over the top of one another as well and you might have one dominant personality who takes control of the conversation and then doesn't allow the rest of it to flow. Uh, exactly, exactly. So important. Exactly. So um, yeah. at at your disposable as an event organiser, you've got other tools that you wouldn't normally have um, as part of, oh, I guess you would. I mean, technology has certainly infiltrated the events um, symposium space where people can use apps. They can ask questions live of the panellists. There's there's a lot of uh, that adaptation already happening, which is good. Mm. But on an online platform, you've got the ability to do polls and breakout rooms and way to engage the audience. How mm. do you find that balance between being a little bit too stunted and, um, I guess, disjointed versus keeping on the topic? How do you find that balance as the event organiser? Yeah, I mean, and it, it's just because you've got the tools doesn't mean you need to use them. Uh, you, know, you know, like back in the day when um, um, uh, Microsoft first introduced um, transitions into PowerPoint slides, into presentation slides, uh, uh, and, you know, all of a sudden every, every presentation had a whoosh and a swish and a sound of that. Um, and we look like we all look like high school students who are going, "Oh, look at my my pretty words on the page suddenly moving around <laughs> like magic." It's yeah, we all turned into high school students there for a while. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So you know, it's just because you 
can doesn't mean that you should. Um, so again, you know, it, it's you know, if um, there's a need to you know, to have a poll to get some sort of intelligence around the audience and what you know, that's a really good tool to use to get a gauge of uh, you know the 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 audience um, and, and where they're at on a particular topic. They're thinking around a particular topic, but don't just throw them in. For the, the, the sake of, because it does exactly that. It becomes quite disjointed and unnecessary. If there's no value in the response that you're going to get from them, it's not going to be used for something um, useful. Then don't do it. You know, you know. Again, it's the same principles that we apply to a physical event. And um, the Q and A functionality, um, I think, what we've done, we've done a much better job in the virtual um, events of, of using that, and not only using that as a as a mechanism to include the audience in the, the in the conversation, uh, but using that as a mechanism to follow up post-event, to keep the conversation going after the actual webinar. Uh, and I think, you know, that's something that we're not great at doing at physical events. I think we take um, success we of a, 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 a physical event, the, phys the event itself, and we're not very good at thinking about what happens after it. Now, how do we continue this conversation? How do we keep people engaged? And um, so I think, you know, in the, the virtual sense, what I've, the, the virtual events, I've, I've seen us doing a much better job at that and following up on the questions and using that. You can turn that into research. You can use that into content, you know, for blogs, you know, for social media posts. You know, it, it, it gives longevity to the, the actual conversation. Do you think that this will mean a real evolution for the event space because that thought process needs to be more, I guess, content-driven even in the face-to-face. -face. So, uh, is the event industry going to learn from this, or is there so much I of it? So. Is there so much of it just on hold at the moment that they're not able to function, and therefore they're not producing events that they could potentially learn from? Or what do you think the future of the industry looks like? I, well, good question, Alexine, and, and I wish I had a crystal ball and could, and, and could answer that. Because there's two parts to it. Right? I mean, it's the traditional event model. If you look at a large-scale conference. Um, it's the success and the, you know, the, the structure and the financial model is built on a few things. It's built on lots of people uh, registering and paying to attend. Um, it's built on the, the, the need for good sponsorship and, you know, in, in some instances, like really high sponsorship dollars um, and, you know, the, the good content and the speakers. Um, now, when you when you're in a holding pattern like we are at the moment, uh, whereby you know corporates aren't able to or don't have the confidence to sponsor events because they don't know what's going to happen if they're going to take place, um, it'll be interesting to see once um, the you know the, the lockdown uh, rules you know are you know, you know relaxed somewhat and events can start to take place. What is the delegate sentiment going to be around? attending events are they going to want to go to large-scale events you know you know has this really impacted uh our you know in you know, our human um need and desire to go to physical events of large scales it might be what happens in the future is you know lots of lots of smaller events taking place uh you know i think you know the face-to-face -face and human uh, interaction is really important uh but people may look at it slightly differently and i think the other part is um there's a difference between what we're able to do in regards to restrictions which are put on or lifted by state or federal governments um, and what corporates decide to do. Like, so the, you know, the, from our, for our industry perspective, the lockdown for our industry started a long time before 
the lockdown came from, from government. So, you know, you had large events like Cisco Live, 8,000 people, usually in Melbourne, was meant to take place the, the, the first week of, of March. That was cancelled early Feb. So, you know, you know, it was a, you know, it was a long time. So again, you know, our corporates going to have their own rules, which say you cannot sponsor an event of more than a thousand people, or you, you cannot attend an event more than more than a thousand people. We don't know. So, you know, there, there's all of these unanswered questions that are going to heavily impact not just our sector, you know, our sector, but, um, you know, that society as a whole that we, we don't have answers to yet. Well, the fact is the events sector touches all parts of the economy because every right. uh, every sector has its own professional association yep. that holds events and educational events and that sort of thing. So I think that this this notion of how education and networking is delivered is going to change and evolve. And this is this is a good example of where an entire industry needs to find other ways of delivering and, and using technology like best case scenario does so well in any case this is mm. they've got to do it really quick otherwise when everything comes back on board and they're still using the old model of how many people can mm. we get to come who are the speakers how many people have registered yep. and we're done that's not going to work mm. anymore because I think I, I believe that the the clients at the end are going to be looking for better content because we've all had this wonderful content delivered to us in our laps yep. in our homes and I think the expectations will probably change as well the last yep. question I want to ask you about was in relation to um, retention. Um, do we have to change our expectations in the online world with retaining people? I guess when you've got people sitting in the audience, the way you measure retention is how many times they look at their phones. <laughs> so how do you measure retention um, as someone who's holding an event, doesn't even need to be an event professional? How do you, how do you monitor that when you've got an event going on? Yeah, and, and that's you know, and, and this is the thing, right? You don't you don't have those visual cues um, as a, a, a virtual event that you have in a physical event. Um, so you know, and you don't get the statistics around that uh, until afterwards. I mean, you know, as as the host of a, of a virtual event, you can see how many people uh, have dialed in, and you can see how many people are still there. So you can you you, you can maybe if you're, if you're watching that, you can be panicking and thinking, oh shit, I'm losing people. Excuse my language. <laughs> um, um, but um again if you apply the say that the principles of a good event don't change virtual to physical um what we found uh, in in the virtual events however is that um that traditional talking head you know you know either someone just standing up and or, or you know presenting powerpoint slides for 30 45 minutes you're going to lose people you know you know you, you, you know you may be the best presenter in the world and the content may be really engaging um but you, you've, there's got to be some different layers. Um, so, you know, what, what we found has worked really well uh, is the, the panel type sort of setup where we've got two or three different, you know, moderated discussion um, th that gives different layers to the audience to keep. There's no reason for them to turn off because there's different voices. There's a different angle that's being covered. Uh, there's a different interaction that's happening. So it just keeps it lively and interesting and especially if you've got a good moderator that i mentioned before that's able to interject with um questions that are coming through the you know the q a chat from the audience that's going to keep me engaged well, you know hopefully they're going to they, they'll, they'll get to my question and they'll cover my question so you know i think you know you know the that engagement pit and keeping the audience you know it, it, you know involved and part of the discussion is really important um if you're just talking at them uh, and going through your content, then yeah, you know, as you would in the, you know in a physical event, but you know it's magnified in a virtual event that you'll lose people.
So it sounds to me that what you're saying is you still have to work hard to keep that audience engagement, whether they're face-to-face or online. It's pretty much the similar principles. You need to keep it differentiated in the way that you're delivering content. I mean, long gone are the days where you've got that whole PowerPoint presentation thing. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and it's boring. I mean, nobody... Well, they haven't gone far enough, unfortunately. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much you say don't. There's something in in their DNA that unless... There's 25 slides and they haven't done their job. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where the, a good event organiser needs to reframe the conversation around. Now, see, what you need to understand is retention is not number of slides. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no metrics there, exactly. Exactly. Well, look, I'd like to thank you very, very much for joining us here on Small Biz Matters. I, I always enjoy Pleasure. having thought leaders and um, heads of industry speaking to us because... Uh, whether you be in that industry or elsewhere or in a different sort of business is always something that you can learn. Tell us a little bit more about how people can find out more about Best Case Scenario. Yeah, very easily. Um, you can find us, our website is bestcasescenario.com.au. My name is Luli. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook. I think I do Twitter, but not very well. Um, so yeah, please, if you have any questions, uh, just reach out. We're happy to help. We're all in this together. Fantastic. Delightful to speak to you. And thank you once again for sharing all of your industry experience and knowledge and and just wealth of information with our listeners. If you've just tuned in, you can, of course, catch up via smallbizmatters.com.au and wherever you listen to podcasts, where there are over 150 podcasts that you can listen to on all aspects of running a small business, where you can listen to fantastic thought leaders such as Luli Adeyemo. And earlier today, we spoke to Daniel Gunning. Thank you so much for joining me on Small Biz Matters. I'll be speaking to more fantastic guests next week uh, here on Triple H 100.1 FM.